there are so many symptoms of hormone imbalance. One, do you see a pattern, first of all? And two, is your cycle regular? And that's where it's so fascinating to look at root causes because there are so many different layers and things to uncover and go you know, up the ladder to see where that imbalance started. Either you are not eliminating estrogen properly from your system or your progesterone is low. And the progesterone and estrogen levels happen in relation to each other. These are all rooted in a chronic, long-term hormonal imbalance. Hi, I'm Laure Sejan, a former HR director turned into a pro makeup artist and a beauty editor. In this podcast, I want to share another way of looking at beauty from the outside and from the inside, from people who create beauty trends to people who help us feel better within our body from sharing my experience with some beauty products to digging into new ingredients. Welcome to Beauty S'il vous plaît. Today, I'm uh, again super excited by the person that is my guest for this new episode of Beauty S'il vous plaît. I'm having Sandor Sharp, a functional medicine coach who helps women find balance with their hormones and addressing the root causes of it. And she created what, a year ago, the rebalance method. I'm sure that Sandra is the best to introduce herself uh, to tell us a bit more about her and why she created this rebalance method and in what it consists of. So thank you so much for having me here, Loch. Um, so as you uh, mentioned, my name is Sandra Sharp and I am a certified functional medicine health coach. I specialize in gut and hormone health for women. So um, I work with women primarily to, like you said, get to the root cause of why they are experiencing imbalances in their gut health and imbalances in their hormones Um, and, you know, as we will get into in this episode, we'll, we'll discuss how these are, these imbalances are actually signals in your body. So there is always a reason why we feel these symptoms and, um, we need to start to learn to understand how to actually treat the root causes, um, versus treating the symptoms. So that is what I do. Um, like I said, I focus on gut health and hormone health. And um, I've been coaching for about a little over four years, almost five years. And um, I started my signature group coaching program, which is called the Rebalance Method, over a year ago. Um, and that is basically a way for me to really try and help as many women as possible. Um, I was doing mostly one-on-one -on -one before and I felt like I needed a platform where I could help more people um, beyond my Instagram and beyond my social media um, and to be able to dig a little bit deeper with clients. So um, group coaching was is something that I am a huge advocate for. I love it. I think it's super effective. Um, I've been part of so many group coaching programs myself. And I think the dynamic of being with other women who share the same experiences, who understand what you're going through, who are really there to listen and support um, is so powerful in healing. It's so powerful in um, gaining awareness and it's so powerful in 
realizing that you're not alone in whatever it is that you're experiencing. So, um, so yeah, it is the rebalance method, uh, obviously. And, you know, I, it goes without saying that I'm a huge advocate for balance. I think um, we have become so used to operating in extremes in our life, um, whether it's, you know, diet culture or the way that we exercise or, you know, certain detoxes and fads and all of that. It's everything is just so extreme and um, our body craves balance. And so that's really what I emphasize in this program. And more importantly, it's teaching women why our bodies need balance, how our bodies are meant to function and um, how we can support our gut health and hormones in a way that doesn't need extremes. Like you can still live your life and eat healthy and be happy and still look after your body. You don't need to live on diets for them to see results. If anything, it's the complete opposite. Um, so that's really what it's all about. And, um, and yeah, that's just a little bit about me. <laughs> so you've always been a nutritionist, a functional medicine coach. No, I actually have a background in marketing and advertising. Um, so not at all this uh, field. Um, I always had a passion for health and wellness since I was young. Um, and I think it really started or I was I started becoming more aware of this passion when I was 16. Um, I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism and it was very, very um, severe case of hypothyroidism, uh, where my body was pretty much shutting down on me and I had no idea what was going on. Um, and so I was automatically put on medication. I had no choice to think of healing my thyroid naturally, um, because my body was literally in such a dire need of, um, thyroid hormone. So I was, um, I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis and that turned into hypothyroidism at quite an early age. Um, and so since then, um, I became a lot more aware of my body um, and what it needed to feel better. So obviously as a teenager, you're eating everything that you want. You don't really, um, you don't really focus on these things, or at least, you know, most women don't. And um, I was eating everything. I wasn't eating primarily junk food or, you know, super healthy or anything. I was just eating everything. And um, I think I started noticing a lot more when I started to include more of certain foods or when I started to cook more for myself. Um, you know, I, I learned how to cook at a very young age. And so when I started really paying attention to ingredients and foods and the way that I felt, I started to realize the power of food and the power of um, how it can heal and how it can hurt. And um, I think that's when my passion really started to grow. And from there, you know, it was like a cascade of events. You know, first I had my hypothyroidism and then in my early 20s, I noticed um, a lot of issues with my gut health. I suffered from very, very uh, heavy uh, very painful periods. I got my period very young. I was 11 and, um, I thought that was normal. You know, we were always told it was normal. And so, you know, I would miss school for days at a time. And, um, I had at, at this, sorry, at this young age, you were missing yeah, school. Already. I was missing school. I was up all night in pain. And at the time my mom, 
Um, wasn't a huge fan of me taking painkillers. I mean, I was 11. So um, I literally just had to live through the pain. And so you can imagine at 11 years old, you know, curled up in your bed in excruciating pain. And I think that lasted until I was about maybe 28, where I started seeing changes because I started addressing things like gut health and my diet and my movement and my stress and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I lived through most of my teens and twenties in a lot of pain. I had a lot of migraines. Um, I had, uh, you know, congested skin, a lot of, um, stomach problems, bloating, constipation, like everything you can think of when it comes to diet, um, you know, digestive issues. Um, and I didn't start to put two and two together until I think I reached the peak of my digestive issues, uh, like around the age of 24, 25. And I knew, I knew that that was not normal. Like for me to have a, you know, a glass of water and feel bloated, that's not normal. Right. So I knew something was wrong. Um, and I went to so many doctors and the only thing that I ever got prescribed was medication, Nexium, um, you know, fiber supplements, which made everything worse. And, um, and then I got diagnosed with candida, which is a yeast overgrowth in your gut. And I was told I had to cut out like a hundred foods, no, fr no, no fruits, no sugars, no carbs. Um, you know, I wasn't told what to put back into my diet. So I lost an insane amount of weight. I developed disordered eating. Um, I had like food paranoia because I was scared that anything I would eat would make me feel worse. So for years I struggled with these things and it wasn't until like my mid twenties, um, or sort of late-ish twenties, I just decided that's enough. Like I'm done with all of this. Um, I don't want pills. I don't want supplements. There was a time when I was taking maybe 15 supplements at a time. I didn't want any of that. And I just wanted to understand why this is happening to my body. Like, you know, I was eating relatively healthy. I was living a normal life. I, you know, yes, of course I had stress. I was in a very high stress job advertising, which is, you know, crazy, but still like I was exercising, I was moving, I had a social life. Like there was nothing that made me feel like something, you know, I was doing anything wrong. <clears throat> But when I started to do a bit of digging and I started to really understand how my body works and what it needed, and I started to make small tweaks, I took matters into my own hands because I, I just had enough with the medical system. And so I just went back to basics. I started eating. I, I was a lot more careful with my food. I went back to what I know, you know, cooking a lot more. Um, I stopped drinking alcohol at all. Um, I reduced my coffee consumption. I was really prioritizing sleep. I wasn't over exercising. I took a break from exercising um, because I actually injured myself really badly. And so I was like for a year, I couldn't really do very high intensity exercises or anything like that. Um, and so that moment I started realizing where everything just started healing, like my stomach issues went away, my periods got better, my migraines disappeared. Um, I was sleeping better. I was, um, not inflamed anymore. I wasn't bloated anymore. My skin got better. So all of these changes happened. And then, you know, obviously it was like a, 
ding, ding, ding moment um, where I was like, okay, there is obviously something going on. There was something going on. And I think I just got to the bottom of it. So that is where my long story short, that is where my um, fascination really grew with women's health, with gut health in particular. And I started doing a lot more research, a lot more studying. Um, I enrolled in two different certifications back to back. And by the end of 2019, um, I was double certified and I had already started working with clients. um, And I was just fascinated by this world of women's health and hormones and gut health and how everything was tied in together. Um, and yeah, that's sort of where it all s- snowballed from there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, listening to you, uh, indeed, I can see like the passion that you have about, you know, what you do. Um, and, uh, and I mean, obviously, you know, me, I'm not certified. I'm not a coach. I will not be a coach, but that's a topic that is very, Uh, dear to my heart as well. Um, and I think a lot, and the reason is like two years ago, I started to work on my hormones, understanding better my body as a woman, understanding that we are not men, we're not functioning not the same. Um, we need different kind of support, or how do you say, yeah, support like for our body to, uh, to be able to live the best of our life as women. Just to go back to what you were saying, because I think that you used you know, some terms that maybe you know, some people are not aware of or haven't or never heard from. Um, so can you explain what is thyroidism? Like- hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism is basically a condition where your body isn't producing enough thyroid hormone. And um, so it starts actually in your brain and um, it's... a a problem where your um, thyroid isn't producing enough T4 and, and T3, basically, which is which are both thyroid hormones. And um, what, what so does everything... It, yeah, so, what, does it, what does it do, the thyroid hormones? Yeah, I, I was just going to get to that. So the thyroid actually is like a data center for your body. So every cell on your body has a thyroid receptor, meaning that everything in your body is affected by your thyroid hormones. And your thyroid gland is actually a gland that lies right in front of your voice box. Um, So it's like a butterfly-shaped gland that lies right at the front of your neck. And um, it has such a huge impact for being such a small gland. It has such a huge impact on the rest of your body. Um, It rules your energy levels, your mood, your metabolism, um, different, uh, you know, other different hormones. It has an effect on... Um, it will affect, you know, if you've got low thyroid function, it will affect uh, your cycle at one point, it will affect, you know, um, there will be an effect on your digestive system. And all of these things are connected, you know, they are, they, they work hand in hand. So if your digestive system is off, or you are stressed, your thyroid uh, gland actually slows down everything. And it is actually it does that because it's trying to help you survive. So it's a gland that will actually, if it senses danger in your environment, like high stress, you know, environmental toxins, you're not eating enough, um, you know, you're, uh, you're not sleeping enough, you're skipping meal, whatever it is, you know, anything that causes stress on our systems, 
it will highly, highly affect your thyroid, your thyroid gland. And so what happens is that it will stop producing so much thyroid hormone to slow everything down in your body. And um, that is a way to basically help your body survive so that it's um, it, it's like a survival mechanism. And so that's why a lot of people will um, experience fatigue, like extreme fatigue. Their digestive system will slow down. So a common symptom of hypothyroidism is constipation, um, you know, digestive issues. So you're not digesting your food properly. There's a very big tie between gut health and thyroid uh, issues. Same with, you know, stress and thyroid issues. Um, it will, um, a lot of women will gain weight, um, because of course, you know, everything has slowed down. So, um, it's a very, very, very important gland. And, um, most women don't know about it. Most women don't test it. Um, most women have no idea what it does or what it means. Um, we're not taught about this stuff. And so, you know, I only learned about it because I had the condition so early on. Um, but it's something that is very, very common in women nowadays. And it's increasingly common because of our lifestyles, because of the stress that we put on our bodies, because of our environments. Um, so it is a very sensitive gland and something that we have to constantly check on, monitor and take care of. When you say uh, constantly check, it's what it's once a year when we go and see our like doctor. Yeah, endocrinologist. So you would see an endocrinologist, um, endocrinologist who specializes obviously in thyroid function, and um, you would test a full thyroid panel. So this is something again that doctors test the wrong way. So if you go to a general uh, doctor or physician, they usually only test TSH. And TSH is actually a, a hormone in the brain. So it's thyroid stimulating hormone. And it's a hormone that is um, produced in the brain that actually signals the thyroid to start producing T4, which is the main thyroid hormone. And that T4 needs to be converted into T3, which is the active form of T4. So your body only uses T3. So, um, and, and that gets converted both in your liver and in your gut. So that's why your liver health and your gut health are so important for thyroid health. Um, but I say all of this because most phys physicians will test only your TSH, which gives you no indication of what is actually happening with your actual thyroid. It's just basically testing whether there is a signal going from your brain to your thyroid, but it's not actually seeing if your thyroid's actually responding. So, um, so you need to test a full thyroid panel, TSH, T4, T3, and something called your antibodies. And your antibodies are TPO and TGA, which are basically um, indicating whether you have any sort of autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, so if your, t if your antibodies are high, that can indicate um, an autoimmune disease, which usually leads to low thyroid function eventually if you don't you know take care of the autoimmune condition early yeah. enough i've done some blood tests like a few a couple of months ago uh with a doctor specializing to functional medicine because i wanted to have another point of view of what was going on you know with me and indeed i mean we we talked she did like, you know, the thyroid, the TSH, the TSH, uh, or the T3, T4, and everything. But then it's such um, a huge 
topic, like to understand like the thyroid, because it has so much impact. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm working, I'm doing some work you know, on, on me to rebalance everything um, in terms yeah. of vitamins, in terms of minerals as well, that can have an impact as well on the thyroid. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's fascinating. And I'm learning like, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a lot of articles about thyroid because <laughs> I feel like an article after another one, I need to read another one just to understand the first one, etc., etc., et yeah. because yeah. it has so much impact on our body. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, what, can you explain what is like uh, Hashimoto disease? Yeah, so Hashimoto's, like I said, it's an autoimmune condition. So basically, um, any sort of autoimmune condition is uh, an immune system sort of dysfunction. So what happens is your immune system is overactive and it almost attacks that gland. So um, your immune system senses that, uh, you know, that cells on your uh, thyroid are something that they need to basically attack. So it, um, it's an attack of your immune system. It's an attack of the gland from your in immune system, but it's actually an immune dysfunction. It's an overactive immune system. And um, again, very highly triggered by stress, very highly triggered by, um, you know, especially Hashimoto's, very highly triggered by stress and toxins. And again, gut health is huge. Um, so all of these things are um, really, really important. And, you know, gut health has a huge impact for, or, you know, um, it can result, if you have a lot of gut issues, it can result in autoimmune conditions down the line because 70% of your immune system lives in your gut. So um, if you have any sort of immune system dysfunction, a big part of it is gut related. So you'll see women who have you know, SIBO and Hashimoto's or Candida and Hashimoto's. Um, a lot of the times they have both of those things uh, at the same time. Same thing with women who have, um, you know, endometriosis. Endometriosis is also very much an immune dysfunction condition, right? Um, as well as an inflammatory condition. So um, a lot of women have SIBO and uh, endometriosis or IBS and endometriosis. Um, so Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting you, uh, Sana, yeah. because you, um, I've heard all those terms like before, not SIBO actually, um, yeah. but so what is SIBO? Okay. So SIBO is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So it's basically an imbalance in bacteria in your gut. That's the simplest way to put it <laughs> without getting too scientific, but it's an imbalance of bacteria. So basically gram negative bacteria, which is like the quote unquote bad bacteria is a higher ratio in your gut than the good bacteria. So it, how, how do you detect that? How do we, um, so there's a lot of symptoms. So, um, a lot of symptoms would include like chronic bloating. Uh, if you're one of those people who is bloated all day, every day, no matter what you eat, you're bloated. Or for example, if um, it, bloating gets a lot worse throughout the day. So like by the end of the day, you are you look like you're pregnant from how bloated you are. Um, if you can't break down certain foods, if you have a lot of indigestive issues, um, these are all things. I mean, you, you have to test anyways, a range of things to see what it is. It could be, it could be H. pylori, you know, which is another bacteria. It could be SIBO. It could be um, candida. 
they all have sort of similar-ish um, symptoms. Mm-hmm. So it, you would need to do a, um, a a test for basically all of them to see what it actually is to be able to treat that specific thing um, mm. more specifically. Um, so we were so doing some tests indeed. Yeah, I've realized that some women they don't know what's going on now in their body. And, um, and I think this is what happened to me a couple of years ago. Uh, I stopped the birth control pill because mm-hmm. I didn't want to have like any synthetic hormones in my body. It didn't mm-hmm. work that well, you know, uh, for me. I was gaining weight. I had a low libido. Uh, I was kind of depressed in a way mm-hmm. uh, and lower energy. So I decided to, to remove it. But I think I did it like probably in the extreme and maybe I, I'm not the only one, but I did it like from a day to another. Like I decided, yeah, that's it, done, over. Like yeah. next day, I'm not taking it, which I think if I could do it another way, I would do it another way mm-hmm. to prepare my body just for that. Because yeah. basically what happened is like the first month, you know, it was like, yeah, that's amazing. I feel amazing in my body. I feel that, you know, I'm having my body back. And then the second month I was seeing like some symptoms in terms of having a painful periods mm-hmm. that I never had before, because again, I was on a um, on pill for probably 15 or nearly 20 years, more or less, you know, in between pregnancies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I've never really felt, you know, this. And, uh, and I was on pill like quite early, probably around when I was like, 14 or 15 because um, I think the beliefs at the time was take the pill you will know exactly when you're going to have your periods and you won't have any pain and you follow you know what your mom would say or this is this was mainly my mom and I know that my mom did it like because you know she loves me Um, but um, then I didn't realize until now, like the impact that it could have on our body and just like to have this dysfunction. And where to come to uh, my next question is I realized that I had some PMS at some point, you know, like the more I was waiting, the more I had more symptoms that I didn't understand. And I didn't realize that it was because of my hormones and the change of hormone that I was going through. So... Mm-hmm. At some point, you know, I was like high energy, then lower energy, bloating. I had some suicidal ideas as well uh, for a few days during the month. Um, I was not able to sleep properly at some point, etc., etc. Up until a point where it had impacted more my my couple life and my relationship with my with my husband, and uh, and then it was about time for me like to go and seek help. Uh, at the time, I didn't know you, <laughs> otherwise I would have come and see you. <laughs> um, I, I worked on, on, on other, enfin, with someone else. Um, but, uh, and this is where I understood so many things about a woman's body, about who we are, how we should treat ourselves as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I believe as well that there are so many different ways of understanding, you know, that we are going through a hormonal imbalance and 
sometimes it's not hormonal imbalance. It's just the way the body is, but we just not, we're not just not able to address the symptoms. So, are you hearing these kind of stories about you know mm-hmm. what I've been through, like uh, with birth control? The, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And and the fact that I don't know. I I how do you qualify a hormonal hormonal imbalance? How do you qualify it? So uh, hormonal imbalance can happen from so many different symptoms. So, um, you know, it could be lack of energy. It could be extreme fatigue. It could be uh, low libido, weight gain, weight loss, um, difficulty to lose weight, difficulty to gain weight. Um, It could be cravings, um, like severe cravings. It could be energy crashes. It could be, um, you know, if you get really tired in the afternoon, for example, and you feel like you need caffeine all the time or, or um, you know, sweets or sugar or anything, that's also an imbalance. If you, um, if you have severe PMS symptoms, if you, um, you know, if you're spotting during the month, if your cycles are irregular, if you have a severe pain, if you have migraines, like these are all symptoms of hormone imbalance. And there are so many symptoms of hormone imbalance that this, that's the thing. So I think the most important thing to see and what I usually ask my clients is, uh, one, do you see a pattern first of all? And two, is your cycle regular? Because if your cycle is irregular or you see any symptoms around your cycle, which don't make sense then you know that there's an imbalance because our periods and our cycles are a huge indicator to what is happening in the rest of our body because everything happens from a top-down approach, right? So if you think about imbalance, it starts up in the brain, right? Signals are not working right, okay? Or if they do work right, but then there's something in the middle that gets, um, you know, Uh, uh, affected or interrupted, right? And that is, again, depends on lifestyle. It depends on stress. It depends on diet. It depends on uh, over-exercising. It depends on certain conditions. Like some women have conditions like health conditions, genetic conditions. Um, And so everything happens from the top down. So, you know, it starts in the brain, you know, goes down into your thyroid, it go, it affects, you know, your gut health, you start to see different symptoms happening, like think of it going literally through your body, right? And the last thing that it will affect is your sex hormones. So the last thing that we will see is an effect on our cycles, is irregularity in our cycles. And if we start seeing irregularity in our cycles, that means that something up above isn't working right something along that whole line through our body isn't working right. So we have to, and that's where it's so fascinating to look at root causes because there are so many different layers and things to uncover and go, you know, up the ladder to see where that imbalance started, either a cortisol imbalance or an insulin imbalance. Okay. So these are something called, um, these are like your, your queen bee hormones, right? So for anyone who doesn't know, cortisol is your main stress hormone and insulin is the hormone that basically helps regulate your blood sugar. So it's created in the pancreas and it helps shuffle 
your glucose. So after you eat, obviously the glucose that's in your bloodstream has to go into your cells. It cannot stay in your blood, right? So insulin gets created in the pancreas. It signals, uh, it gets signaled to be created in the pancreas. Um, so basically most of the imbalances happen from either a cortisol imbalance or an insulin imbalance. That's sort of where it starts, right? So uh, your cortisol for anyone who doesn't know is your main stress hormone. And your um, insulin is a, a hormone that is produced in the pancreas and is its, its role is basically to shuffle glucose, which we produce after we eat, right? Um, from the food that we get, there is glucose in our bloodstream and that is meant to give us energy, but it can't stay in the bloodstream. It has to go into the cells and the muscles in order to be used as energy. So insulin is basically responsible for shuffling all that glucose into our cells. So these two things, if you've got blood sugar imbalance or you've got, um, you know, stress issues, adrenal fatigue, chronic stress, over exercise, under eating, um, eating processed foods, skipping meals, trauma in your life, um, you know, abuse, negative thoughts, all of these things can create stress on your system. Toxins, right? If you're using a lot of toxins, um, all of these things can create stress. So that will imbalance your stress hormones. So these two will then have a cascade of imbalances through the rest of your body until it reaches your sex hormones. Question. Yeah. What, what is adrenaline fatigue? I'm hearing this like adrenal fatigue, adrenal, adrenal yeah. fatigue. So adrenal fatigue is basically like a cluster of symptoms. There is no such there. It's not like a medical thing. It's basically, um, if you're feeling like tired and wired, that feeling where, you're overexerted, you're overstressed, and your um, stress hormones are just through the roof, right? So what happens is that your, your body basically shuts down. Everything starts to like slow down, shut down, and you start to feel this burnout, um, these burnout symptoms. So that is what adrenal fatigue is. It stems from your adrenals. So your adrenals are what produce your stress hormones. And um, so it's that feeling of an overstressed, overburdened body. And, um, and that is something that is so common nowadays because, you know, we're living in a high stress life, high stress world, uh, obviously post pandemic, especially, um, we're seeing a lot more women being diagnosed with adrenal fatigue, a lot more thyroid issues, a lot more cancer diagnoses, a lot more, um, autoimmune conditions, a lot more inflammation and a lot more period issues. Mm. So all of these things um, are being affected. I mean, the number one thing that affects hormone imbalance is stress, number one. And like I said, stress can happen from so many different things. It's not just like because you are stuck in traffic, right? It could be because you're not eating enough. It could be because you're skipping meals. It could be because you're not having enough protein. It could be because you're not sleeping well. There's so many things that affects stress in our bodies. It could even be blood sugar imbalance. So if your body is not um, using that glucose properly, and a lot of it is you've got high blood sugar or high insulin in your body, that's stress on your body. So that's, again, something that's going to cause hormone imbalance. So everything is connected. You were talking about like few symptoms, like uh, having um, a painful period, uh, migraines, uh, also some um, acne. Yeah. 
uh, or, or breakout. No. So all of those symptoms should not happen. Is it, is um, it what you're saying? Yeah. So painful periods are common, but it's not normal. Um, we, like I said in the beginning, we have grown up thinking that pain is normal, that, um, you know, having this crazy pain around our, our cycle or bleeding really heavily or um, having to skip work or school or whatever it is, is normal. That's not normal. Um, so your period is supposed to come regularly every month mm-hmm. without symptoms, actually. So very, very mild symptoms that are not supposed to disrupt your life. If your symptoms are disrupting your life, you need to get your hormones checked because there is definitely then an imbalance between your estrogen and your progesterone and which are your main sex hormones as a woman and um, something that you definitely need to, uh, to check. So like I said, your period comes, should come every month um, and it should be somewhat asymptomatic, but things like uh, just to clarify things like breakouts and stuff like that. It's okay. If it's like around your cycle, um, if you feel a little bit more bloated or, you know, you retain a little bit more water the week before your period, that's totally normal. Like we do get slight breakouts because of the fluctuations of hormones, your skin becomes a little bit more oily. Um, so we are prone to more breakouts. Um, but if it's like cystic acne, really painful, it happens all month, or, you know, um, you have really bad flare ups or anything like that, then there's something going on deeper again, bloating, slight bloating around your period is completely normal, but bloating all month, all day, every day is not. So, um, I want to clarify that because people are like, oh, it's totally normal to be bloated every day. It's not normal to be bloated every day. It's normal to have slight bloating around your period, but not every day. Um, And the third thing is cravings. So cravings are extremely common around our cycles. And one thing that women don't actually know is that you can completely avoid having cravings if you eat more in the second half of your cycle. So um, I don't know if you want me to go into the cycle phases or... Please, that was exactly, you know, the next. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I feel I, I feel for a lot, um, a long time, and, and still today, I'm sure, I mean, now, obviously, I'm, I'm more educated, know about this, but before for me, it was like, you have your period, you don't have your period. You have your yeah. period, you don't have your period. And that was pretty much, you know, what I knew <laughs> until I dive into understanding better and then discovering that there are four faces. Yeah. Yeah. So they're very common. I mean, we were all taught that it's period or no period and that's it. And, or that we could get pregnant throughout the month, which is a massive myth, right? So um, yeah, there are four phases to our cycle every month. So your period, obviously we all know. Um, So it starts actually the easiest way to think about it is the four seasons, right? And it starts with spring, And then obviously summer, fall, winter. So uh, your spring season is your follicular phase. Okay. So that is the phase that happens right after you finish your bleed. Okay. And your, your period is actually part of the follicular phase. So there is um, the non-menstrual follicular part, which is in the later follicular part. And there's the menstrual follicular 
follicular phase, which is at the beginning of your follicular phase. So basically the first season is, I'll, I'll break it down much simpler actually to, 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 to make it much simpler to understand. So day one of your cycle, okay, is the first day of your bleed. That, think of it as winter, right? Your period is winter. So um, you're going to feel more tired. You're going to feel a little bit more sleepy. You're going to want heavier foods. Um, you're not going to be wanting to go and train, you know, as much as you usually do throughout the rest of the month. You want to rest. You're a little bit antisocial. That's totally normal. These are all normal symptoms. Um, so your first day of your bleed is the first day of your cycle. And we enter into then the follicular phase after that we are in the second phase of the follicular phase and um, that is where it sort of leads up into your ovulation so ovulation is phase number three and luteal phase is phase number four okay so um your follicular phase like i said it's split between your period and your leading up to ovulation, then you've got your ovulation, and then you've got your luteal phase, which is like the two weeks before your period. Okay. Um, so there are all kinds of hormonal things going on during all each of these four phases. Um, and so we're going to see different things in our bodies because of that. Right. So as you can imagine, and as we all know, our periods, like I said, we are a lot more uh, tired. We are let lower on energy. Uh, we're not in the mood to socialize as much. We want like warm foods and think of winter, right? Like you want warm cooked foods. This, these are the things that support your body. Um, and so, um, that is basically indicate indicative of the hormones at that stage. Your hormones are actually at an all time low. So they are the lowest ever throughout the cycle when we are bleeding. So mm -hmm. your estrogen and your progesterone. And I your testosterone. Yeah, I have a question on this. Like for instance, yeah. before the period, usually indeed, you no, know, I mean, I would have like cravings. I'm eating a lot. Um, but then during my menstrual, it's uh, usually I don't want to eat and I'm losing weight. Mm -hmm. Is that something common or? Um, It could be, there could be definitely some sort of imbalance. It's not, I wouldn't say it's something common, but um, some people do lose their appetite because like I said, their hormones are very, very low. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be that, but it's something that you need to monitor because it's, it's not something that you want to, um, you don't want to kind of uh, uh, support it. Like you don't want this to continue happening, right? We need to eat actually more than ever during that time because mm -hmm. you're bleeding. So you actually need to nourish your body even more during your period. Um, so if you're seeing or finding that you're having a hard time eating or you're losing weight, um, I would look into that because there could be something going on um, that is not supposed to happen. So okay. like I said, we are supposed, we're not supposed to be ravenous, of course, like we're not supposed to be eating everything in sight, but um, we are supposed to be nourishing our bodies. So, mm. um, but I, I, you know, it can happen because like I said, your hormones are very, very low. So um, it could just be basically a side effect of that. 
Um, and then, you know, something that is really common, obviously, like I was saying, is cravings. So women get tons of cravings before our periods, right? That's something that we grew up knowing. We want to have chocolate. We want to have sweets. We want to have carbs. But it's actually because your metabolic rate, so the rate at which you burn energy, actually increases by, I think it's about 20% in the second phase of your cycle. Okay. I think it's about 15 or 20%, if I, if I'm not mistaken, 15%. Um, but it increases in the second phase of your cycle. So in the luteal phase, after you've ovulated, okay, your estrogen starts to decline and your progesterone is supposed to go up. Your progesterone cr- increases your cravings. Basically it's a very high energy uh, hormone. So it needs a lot of nutrients. Plus also it, uh, during that phase, like I said, your metabolic rate is changing because of that high progesterone, higher progesterone, uh, or progesterone in general is very pro metabolic. So you're burning a lot more calories during the second half of your cycle. Meaning if you're not eating more throughout the day, you will have cravings. So you're actually, women are actually supposed to eat around 300 calories more every day for the two weeks before you get your period. If you do that, you're supporting your hormonal fluctuations and you will no longer have cravings. So that's something that I don't think anyone is taught growing up. Um, So that's why they, they sort of classify the different phases of the cycle as seasons, because in the spring and the summer, right, like in our follicular phase, and when we're ovulating, and we're, you know, we've got so much energy, and we're social, and we're out, and, you know, you're craving lighter foods, right? Think of summer. So you want like more fish and salads and more smoothies and fruit and a lot of that kind of food. Then once we enter the luteal phase, after we ovulate, it's like autumn, right? So we start feeling like our energy slowly slows down, but we're craving more foods because our body needs that energy um, as we are burning more. So we, we want more nutrient dense foods. Think again of fall foods, things like squash and sweet potato and salmon and, you know, really nutrient dense foods. And that goes into our periods. And when we have our periods, we're obviously losing a lot of blood, right? So um, a lot of women will, will crave meat, for example, during that phase. And that is completely normal because obviously your iron levels go down the more blood that we lose. And, uh, you know, we're going to be craving things that are like meat, which are full of iron, uh, they're full of zinc. So these are foods that really support your period. So our bodies are so smart. Like if we start to actually listen to what we are craving, we'll start to understand why that happens because your body actually needs it. And so this is what I'm so passionate about teaching women about, because the minute that I discovered it and that I really started to be much more intuitive with what my body's trying to tell me, the less and less symptoms I started to see. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, um, in a way, the society, and we are part of it, yeah. uh, has shut down our uh, intuition as yes. women. Um, because we've been living as women, you know, on uh, a 24 hour cycle, 
And this is how we function, you know, like uh, if you have um, a, a job in a company, you know, like every day, it's like from, I don't know, nine to nine to six or eight to five. Uh, and then it's like over and over and over and over. And, yeah. uh, and we are being asked like to perform with the, the same. same consistency. Yes. Every single day, no matter, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a man or woman, there's no yeah. distinction where women, we, we do not function on the 20, on the 24 hour. Exactly. But on the 28 days, uh, yeah. because, you know, as you said, you know, we, uh, me, I have a, a different approach on, on, uh, on the different phases. I mean, I like to like for, for the follicular phase, uh, I like to see it as, you know, this is um, the time when, Uh, we are creating the the egg, yeah. where it's like everything is 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 building in our body. So indeed, uh, we are we can be like more creative in terms of work. Then we have the ovulation where the egg is here. So this is where will be um, uh, will be more uh, social, uh, great for meetings, to meet new people, etc. And the little uh, phase when the egg is not being um, How do you say? Uh, fertilized. Fertilized, yeah, thank you. Um, is uh, basically the, the egg is dying. And, uh, and me, this well, is where... It's either dying or it's being fertilized. It's either oh, it's being fertilized. Or it's yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> Still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> But when it's not fertilized, I mean, yeah. the luteal phase will be like when we would start feeling a bit more uh, fatigue or tiredness you know, through like the coming two weeks before the period. Yeah. Um, and this is where I felt like the suicidal uh, thoughts uh, at the time, because basically we are feeling death in our body in a way or another like you know the intuition like and sometimes you don't understand this i mean this is how yeah. i'm just interpreting you know the thing and then the period like when you releasing like the the, the egg and then the cycle coming but just to say that we live on a 28 day so even at work you know we would have like some days or phases where we are better to create new things to think about new projects Uh, to do the meetings to or on the little phase would be like you know where we and I can see that like so much where we want just to finish all the project that we had in mind or yeah. even to tide up you know whatever yeah yeah needs to be on the house like just to make sure that on the day where we have appeared we can just Everything relax is, yeah exactly and and uh, and focus on ourselves and uh, so yeah I think uh, this uh, this intuition probably now we are we're getting back to it you know thanks to yeah. you uh and because um you you're educating you know uh, other women on on how we should live our life um what uh talking about um uh we're well, talking now but i'm going to bring this uh, subject um pms mm -hmm. what uh What are the most common reasons for women to go through PMS? And PMS stands for premenstrual symptoms? Syndromes. Syndrome. Syndromes. Syndromes. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, PMS is um, actually an imbalance in hormones. And PMS is actually rooted in higher estrogen levels. 
So um, estrogen obviously is a very important hormone. We need it. It's what makes us women. It's what gives us nice skin. It's what, um, you know, make, gives us curves and gives us nice hair and all of that stuff. It's a very, very important hormone, but too much of it can also be toxic in our bodies. So there is uh, currently a very common sort of epidemic of estrogen imbalance and estrogen, something called estrogen dominance. So um, if you are estrogen dominant, you would see symptoms like PMS. You would have symptoms like, um, you know, you develop things like fibroids, uterine fibroids, um, things like uh, endometriosis, adenomyosis, um, you know, uh, breast, like if you have fibrocystic breasts, so if you have a lot of cysts in your breasts, that's also a sign of estrogen imbalance or higher estrogen. Um, and so these are all symptoms of, or after effects of high estrogen in the body. So like I said, it can happen in two ways. Either you are not eliminating estrogen properly from your system or your progesterone is low. And the progesterone and estrogen levels happen in relation to each other. So if your estrogen, if your progesterone is low, your estrogen will be high. So like I said, they play in relation. So these are the two reasons why people can, uh, can have estrogen dominance. And we can sort of have higher estrogen levels due to several different things. So either you are, like I said, you're not eliminating properly and um, estrogen has to be detoxed from the body. It has to be neutralized and eliminated completely outside of your body. So it's what, produced, yeah. used and eliminated. I'll get how, how, how do you detoxify your body from I'll, I'll get it. and what is the frequency? I'll get into it. So it has to happen on a daily basis right? So we are supposed to be, our systems are made to detox on a daily basis. How is that? How does that happen? Through your liver, right? Your liver is like one of the hardest working organs in your body. Okay. We are constantly, uh, you know, um, uh, um, burdening it with, you know, medications and toxins and different kinds of foods and, you know, all of these things that it sort of has to like metabolize neutralize and eliminate. Um, but it does the same thing with hormones. Okay. So estrogen is something that has to be eliminated from the body through the liver. So it metabolizes through the liver. Okay. And there's two phases of detoxification through the liver. So phase one and phase two, and the third phase of your detox pathway, uh, detox system is in your gut. So obviously your digestive system, right? You eliminate and you poop in the bathroom. That is how you eliminate hormones and toxins out of your system, right? So if you are having digestive problems, if your liver is congested, if you're not doing these three phases or your body's not able to go through these three phases properly, then what happens is that you produce estrogen and it continues to multiply in your body because it's not being eliminated. It's actually being recirculated back into your system. So over time, that creates more estrogen on more estrogen on more estrogen on more estrogen. And the problem is, is that it's not just your body that produces estrogen. We are also consuming so many different kinds of chemicals and toxins and products 
that create more estrogen in our body because there is uh, something called xenoestrogens, which are chemical compounds that you find in um, things like plastic products. So things like BPA, um, you know, phthalates, uh, you know, all of these like toxins that we're constantly using in our, in our plastic water bottles, in our plastic containers, in our, the receipts that we get from the stores, the, you know, takeaway cups from the coffee shop. Um, all of these have BPA and BPA is probably one of the leading xenoestrogens out there because it, it mimics estrogen in your body. So it actually acts like estrogen. So it's not just the estrogen that you're producing naturally as a woman, but it's also we are getting excess estrogen from the environment. So if you're not detoxing all of that properly, or if you have a compromised gut or liver health, you will for sure have compromised hormonal imbalances. So that will then start to affect your estrogen. Your estrogen levels are going to go up. And as your estrogen levels go up, your progesterone gets suppressed. And so over time, I mean, PMS is just a common symptom, right? Uh, but it could also get more serious. And that could then eventually lead to infertility. That can then eventually lead to severely irregular cycles. That can then lead to, you know, even more chronic diseases like breast cancer or uterine cancer um, or ovarian cancer. These are all rooted in a chronic long-term hormonal imbalance of estrogen being high. So we want to make sure as much as we love estrogen, we want to make sure that it's constantly being detoxed from our systems and we have to prioritize our gut health and our liver health for us to be able to do that. Um, PMS is uh, all the list of the, 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 the symptoms that you were listing before. Yeah. So PMS is um, so painful periods, Um, you know, um, it could be migraines, it could be breast tenderness, it could be um, really, really, you know, bad fatigue, like you're super fatigued, it could be um, severe cravings. So all the common PMS symptoms that we know. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, I... Um So before like working on my hormones, I went to see my, my gynecologist because I knew that something was not going right. And, uh, and we did some blood tests. Mm -hmm. uh, and she didn't find anything. And I was like, I'm sure that I have something. Something is not going right. No, it's not normal that, you know, either I'm having some... Um, I don't know, just, you know, it could, it, it, for me, it was not like really bloating, but it was more like, uh, um, again, you know, those, uh, those ideas, the fact that I was more nervous uh, at some, uh, you know, some uh, moment or time, you know, during my cycle. Uh, so we would have fight, you know, with Joe, uh, my husband, and, um, and she didn't find anything. The only thing that she told me is you should... Um, you should look into your blood sugar level and that's it. Eat less yeah. chocolate, maybe switch, you know, with some nuts. And I was like, okay, <laughs> it didn't really help. So the question that I have is when is the best time and how do you test on the level of 
progesterone and estrogen. Okay. So um, if you are having symptoms with your cycle, then um, the best time to test estrogen is actually in the beginning of your cycle. So around um, day three of your cycle. So day three of your bleed. Okay. So that is the most ideal time to test estrogen, but you can really test estrogen anytime. Like estrogen, um, because it fluctuates, estrogen can be tested really anytime in the cycle. But if you are having issues with, um, you know, symptoms of low estrogen, or you, you feel like you're not ovulating properly, or um, you're having issues getting pregnant, or, um, you know, anything related to your cycle where you feel like something is off, I would test estrogen in the beginning. So day three, along with other hormones like FSH, LH, um, so FSH is follicular uh, stimulating, follicle stimulating hormone, and LH, which is your luteinizing hormone. These two are very uh, important for fertility. Um, so it's important to test all three of those together and see how they play with each other because they're very closely uh, intertwined. And I'm not going to go into like the whole science of it because it's going to be a very long story. But that would be for another episode. That yeah, would be for, for another, another episode. episode. <laughs> um, so it's uh, that is basically the most ideal time. But you can also test estrogen with with your progesterone. Um, and if you are having a regular cycle, so a regular on average 28 day cycle, let's say, um, then you would test it on anywhere between day 19 to day 21. So um, day 19 or day 21 of your cycle, you have to test progesterone because that's when it's meant to be the highest five to seven days after you ovulate. So that is when you test progesterone and you can also test estrogen because that will then indicate for you um, where your progesterone is, if your progesterone is low or your progesterone is normal and in relation to that, where your estrogen is, because during that time, your estrogen isn't supposed to be high, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be lower and your progesterone is supposed to be higher. So if there's anything imbalanced in that and you are seeing that there are imbalances or you're having, again, fertility issues or you're, you're not getting your period on time or whatever it is, or you're getting your period too early, um, these are all things that you sort of need to um, see what's going on with your hormones. So progesterone, day 19 to 21, you can test your estrogen then as well. And if you're just testing estrogen, then it's uh, day three of your cycle. Um, and you can also test your testosterone, your FSH and your LH and your prolactin. Those are all the hormones you can test in the beginning of your cycle. And you go and test them with their endocrinologist and endocrinologist. Yeah, you can do it with your endocrinologist, um, or with your gynecologist. Um, you know, that would probably be uh, an easier way to test those hormones. Um, so I would get it done with your gynecologist. And again, a lot of times um, they will not agree to test certain hormones uh, due to, you know, insurance reasons or whatever it is. Um, so they will tell you as long as you're normal, quote unquote, then we there's no reason to test anything else. Right. But if you truly feel like you have issues with your hormones and you want a full test with all of those hormones, and your doctor's not listening, you either have to go find another doctor or you can take matters into your own hands and go and test at a lab 
um, or with a functional medicine doctor who will be able to um, just do all of those tests for you. And, um, and then you can get more answers mm. that way. With the rebalance uh, method, Sandra, I mean, what are the main reasons a woman would come to you and would want to, to join uh, your program? Um, yeah, so for the rebalance method, it's anyone who experiences any symptoms with their gut health or their hormones. And I think the majority of women that I have um, gotten into the program are women who have seen issues with their cycle. They've had fertility issues. They've had thyroid issues. They have uh, like 95% of them have gut issues or liver issues. Obviously that's where it stems from. Um, and um, they also want to find a program where they're not told to do another diet, you know, or another crazy elimination or whatever it is. They want to really understand how their bodies work because they want to be able to understand why these things happen and how they can support themselves in a way that is sustainable, in a way that is a lifestyle rather than something you just do for 12 weeks and then see you later. So um, we get, I get women with all kinds of different, different hormonal imbalances. And a common question that I constantly get asked is like, well, then how do you know how to help all of us? Because we all have different things going on. And the answer I always tell them is the foundation remains the same. Whether you have PCOS, whether you've got irregular periods, whether you've got PMS, whether you've got thyroid, whether you've got blood sugar, you know, whatever, uh, insulin resistance, um, all of these things, right? The foundation remains the same to hormonal balance. And that is making sure that you're eating right, making sure that you are living right. So what is your lifestyle like? Are you addressing stress? Are you making sure that you are supporting and nourishing your body the right way? Are you uh, balancing your blood sugar? Are you um, eating enough protein? Are you moving the right way? Are you, um, you know, getting enough sunlight? Are you um, detoxing properly? Have you been on diets for, you know, your entire life? So the foundation remains the same. We have forgotten how to master the basics. And so in our minds, we constantly think like, oh, but, you know, to heal my hormones, I have to do all of these complicated, crazy protocols and all of this stuff. But we still don't do the basics, right? And before, you know, I always call it like the sexy versus the non-sexy stuff, the fancy versus the non-fancy stuff. We don't need to do the fancy stuff and the fancy stuff won't work until we master the non-fancy stuff. And so, you know, infrared saunas and like whatever lymphatic drainage and, you know, all of these things that we're, you know, we constantly think about and cryotherapy and like, I don't know what massage and I don't know what treatment and um, creams and lotions and serums and none of that is going to work, nor is it necessary if you are not mastering the basics, if you're not eating right, if you're not sleeping right, if you are not um, de-stressing, if you're not out in the sunshine, if you're not taking time to rest your body, if you are over-exercising, all of these things 
these fancy things will not work if you are not doing the basics. And so you can heal so much of hormone imbalance by just focusing on the basics. And many of the women that come into the program see a massive 180 shift in 12 weeks. Okay. Some of them need continued work because their cases are a little bit more intense. Um, you know, some of them need uh, additional guidance with a doctor. So I'll work with a doctor and they'll be sort of doing my program and also following up with a practitioner because they may need certain supplements or medication or whatever treatments. So it's very dependent on the case. But again, the foundation remains the same. And no matter what doctor you go to, Unfortunately, because doctors are so busy, they have a million patients, you know, like they don't have time to sit down and teach you this foundational stuff. And so this is where my role comes in and why I feel like it's so important that we first master the foundations. And if you still see issues, then you're either not doing the foundations right or you need more um, specified, more um, fancy stuff to help you, if that makes sense. So like more supplements, more treatments, more concentrated things that you would get from like a practitioner or, um, a certified, you know, a, a specific person for that condition. Mm. So, um, I lay the foundation and then you either heal through that and you see amazing changes through that, which most of the women do, or you can continue to kind of seek more guidance. I think that there is, as you said, a lack of understanding uh, how to live with or to, yeah, to live with foundation. Yeah. Um, today, we are very much still in a society where we want a like, quick fix oh, yes. um, yeah. on everything. And it doesn't work. I mean, I can yeah. maybe I still need to work on more understanding more like for me, but me, it's, it's been like an ongoing process for the past two years. First, yeah. to understand my body, to understand what I had to eat, how I had to yeah. live my life. And I'm still not 100, I'm not perfect for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely like the stress level, it's something like, you know, huge. I mean, I've been through like a burnout. So I know that, you know, I've had some impact and still like today's stress. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't live in a stressful environment because it impacts me like immediately. Uh, lack of sleep as well. If you don't sleep like enough, you're going to feel tired the next day. You're going to eat more sugar. And like, it's a... Uh, Hold on. It's a domino effect. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And exercises. Uh, so I'm exercising like more than before. And definitely that it's, it's helping. I think there's one thing that uh, I didn't realize until like a few months is how uh, little protein I was eating. And I mm -hmm. think I'm, I'm probably not, not the, the, the only one in this, but... Yeah. In that case, but uh, yeah, protein has such a huge uh, impact as well. If you don't eat enough protein, then you will feel the fatigue coming and therefore yeah, like sure. eating more like, you know, sh sweets or et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Protein's uh, very important. And most women are protein deficient. I think every woman that's ever come into the rebalance method has been protein deficient every single one and exactly. i've worked with i've worked with over 100 women and all of them are protein deficient um so yeah i mean and and i honestly think we have diet culture and the fitness industry to blame for that because 
protein has been labeled as like, oh, you know, gain more muscle, become bulky. Uh, you know, uh, if you're competing, you need more protein. If you know, whatever, all of this like marketing stupid stuff like that doesn't make any sense for us women and so women started thinking or and associating like well i don't want to bulk i don't i want to be a bodybuilder um so i don't need protein but it is like the complete opposite of what is actually true um protein is essential to everything in your body it is the building blocks protein is basically the building blocks of everything in your body So if you are not eating enough protein, you're not supporting so many things in your body, but not just that you're not balancing your blood sugar. You're not um, supporting your hormones. You're not supporting your metabolism. You're not supporting your muscular, you know, um, build basically. And as women, if we're not eating enough protein, um, naturally when we age, we are depleting in muscle mass naturally. So if you're not eating protein to support the muscle that you have or to, or exercise in a way that supports muscle growth, you will have a lot of issues as you age. Like I was listening to, um, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. I don't know if you've, if you've, if you've seen any of me, any of my posts, I repost a lot of her work, but she does a lot of work, um, in promoting and advocating and, uh, creating awareness around the importance of skeletal muscle for women and, uh, protein consumption. And, um, there was some, there was a statistic that she shared on a podcast that said, um, by the age of 65, 50% of women, if they fall just a fall, they won't be able to walk again. Um, whether it's because they are vegan vegetarian or whether it's because they're skipping meals and they have this idea that protein is like the devil for them, right? Like they're, they don't want to bulk. They don't want to swell. They don't want to whatever, but it's essential. Can and, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, about, um, okay. So vegan, I believe that we can find like other source of protein than only chicken or meat or fish or, mm-hmm um seafood right yeah okay. um so there is uh, so yes there are other sources of food that have protein in them but they are not main sources of protein okay so your main sources of protein are animal proteins and that is the most bioavailable source of protein And that is just scientific fact. That's not me like saying being non-vegan is better. Um, But uh, it's the, it's the protein of choice for our bodies. We Mm. absorb the best when we eat animal proteins, our bodies were made to absorb animal protein the best. And that's fact. Mm. Now, if you are vegan Um, And that works for your body. Again, I'm going to put that as a major disclaimer because a lot of women are like, no, but I'm vegan because of the trend or because of, you know, whatever. And their bodies are seriously suffering. Okay. If your body is suffering while you are a vegan, please reconsider whether it's actually for you or not. Because Um, A lot of women who are vegan vegetarian that I've even worked with had major hormonal imbalances, major hormonal imbalances, had major issues with fertility, 
um, were extremely fatigued, were not having um, ideal or optimal thyroid function, were not able to build muscle, were having very low metabolism. So it's not for everyone, okay? But if you are a vegan or vegetarian and it's working for you, then please continue. As Whatever works for your body, continue doing it. But if you are a vegan or a vegetarian and you want to make sure that you are getting enough protein, you need to make sure that you are supplementing. In my opinion, that's the only way that you're going to be able to get enough protein because if you want to get protein from broccoli, for example, you're going to have to eat a ton of broccoli to get like 10 grams of protein per day. And we need a minimum, minimum of 75 that's just literally just for us to like survive. So you want to make sure that you're getting no less than 75. I think the recommended dietary recommendation is 60, but that's like bare minimum. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't say anything less than 75, 75 to 90 is sort of average. hundred is ideal. Um, and then obviously if you're building muscle, uh, you know, 120 is sort of like what the average woman eats if she's like training really heavy or building muscle. Again, it depends on your body and all of that. Yeah. But um, women who are vegan vegetarian have to make sure that they are supplementing and they have to make sure that they are calculating their macros properly because vegan vegetarian diets, especially vegan diets are very high in carbohydrates, right? Um, lentils, peas, uh, legumes, all of these Yes, they have protein content in them, but they are mostly carbohydrates. They're not mostly protein. Um, so it's very important to one, calculate how much protein you're getting. Um, but also if you are vegan, I think there are also ways where you can combine certain foods to make sure that you're also not just getting enough protein, but getting amino acid profiles, right? Those amino acid profiles you don't get in anything except for animal protein. So uh, you have to do a little bit of research and a little bit of work. It's a lot of effort to be a proper vegan. Um, it's not just like, yeah, I don't eat meat. No, you have to really make sure that you're getting your nutritional um, value from food because you're massively lacking in nutrients. Yeah, so to support, you have to to support your body, yeah. Exactly. Mm. Most vegans are vitamin B deficient, iron deficient, zinc deficient, selenium deficient. And these are all really, really important minerals and nutrients for your thyroid, for your sex hormones, for your body in general. Um, so yeah, it takes a lot of work to be a proper vegan and get the right nutritional content. Mm. Um, but look, if you're doing it and it's working for you and you have no issues, then, you know, continue doing it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically the whole protein story. <laughs> I have, obviously, I, I have, okay. So I have like, uh, three other questions, but I need to choose like one of them. Okay. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, so, okay. I'm going to give you the choice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Among the three, uh, we can talk about, our intermittent fasting, because mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of women and I know that it has such an impact on our body as women. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about PCOS that yeah. are one of the, I don't know how to call it, like a syndrome or disease that women unfortunately are seeing like more and more mm -hmm. um, or endometriosis. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. that is also like one of the uh, things that I've been seeing growing a lot the past two to three years, unfortunately, mm -hmm. also. Um, yeah. But I found like the three quite interesting. Um, but I want to manage our time. So I let yeah. you decide which one you want to, um, to conclude with. <laughs> oh, I can't hear you anymore. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to come like in a minute, I'm going to come back. I will cut. Yes, I think it's... Yes? Yes. Okay. Um, so it depends on what you feel like your listeners would benefit most from. Intermittent fasting is uh, a lot more common, um, but endometriosis, like you said, is a huge up and coming thing that women are getting diagnosed with. So I'm happy to talk about either one of them. Okay. So let's talk about uh, endometriosis. Okay. Um, okay, so endometriosis, uh, what, what would you like to know about it? What it's about, so, how to help yeah, it? So, so first, I mean, how come we're seeing, or this is what I feel, that we're seeing more and more women having endometriosis? Is it because we are talking more about it today? Uh, or is it because it's just becoming like more common and there is this increase of cases of endometriosis? And also, where does it come from? And how it can be treated, if it can be treated, or how can it be not supported, but how to support women having this condition? Yeah. So, um, so endometriosis, I think we are seeing a lot more of it because one, we are discovering it a lot more. So yes, women are getting more diagnoses with endometriosis. Um, it's also taken women years and years to get an official endometriosis um, diagnosis. So it takes women a very long time. And I think why? Um, I think it's again, because it's something that has sort of been up and coming as in it's developed slowly, it's become more common. Um, it has symptoms that can be actually misdiagnosed a lot. So um, women are getting misdiagnoses. Um, women are also, you know, having to do surgery to get diagnosed, which isn't always, you know, necessary. Um, so there's a lot of um, up and coming research about endometriosis. There's a lot more awareness now. Um, so yeah, I think it's sort of like a combination of those things. But also because we are seeing, like I said before, an increase of this estrogen dominance epidemic. We, um, like I said before, endometriosis is rooted in gut problems, rooted in inflammation and rooted in estrogen dominance. And so I think with the rise of women having more of these issues, we're starting to see more cases of endometriosis. Endometriosis also has... Uh, quite a genetic um, sort of, you know, uh, um, it's, it's a quite a genetic condition. So there is a genetic factor involved in getting diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, but, you know, there's when, still... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. 
<laughs> when you say genetic, you mean like uh, an inheritance that you would yeah. get so from... like your mother had it or someone in your family has had it. Um, so usually that's what we're seeing is that it's there is a bit of a genetic factor in there. It's not entirely lifestyle, um, but there's still a lot of research being, um, you know, conducted on this on this topic. And there's now uh, studies that show, um, you know, that it could possibly be an autoimmune condition um, and it has a lot to do with immune dysfunction. So there's a lot of research that's starting to, you know, happen. Um, there is no formal cure. And I'll go into what endometriosis actually is before we go into um, how to help it. So um, endometriosis is basically uh, an inflammatory condition. And it is when um, endometrial tissue from your endometrial wall Uh, basically grows outside of the endometrial wall. And so it grows on different organs and it attaches to different organs. So um, it causes a, 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 a body-wide inflammation. Um, it causes a lot of pain. It causes like severe, heavy bleeding, um, especially around the cycle. It causes um, like these lesions and cysts in your ovaries Um, uh, sorry, in your uterus and on your ovaries. And it causes, um, like I said, this, this sort of body-wide inflammation. Um, so I think the main sort of symptoms would be excessive bleeding, where you're like literally changing pads or tampons every hour. Um, so very, very heavy bleeding, very, very painful. Like some women even pass out from the pain. Um, And that has to do with, you know, the, the, these lesions that are attached to your organs and also the lesions that are outside of this endometrial wall. Um, some women have most of the pain around their cycle, around their period, and some women experience pain throughout the month, because like I said, it's attached on different parts, different organs. So it could be pain in different areas of your body. Um, and so that's, uh, that's sort of what it's all about. Um, there is no cure for endometriosis. Um, it can, it has been said to affect fertility, although I know so many women who have gotten pregnant, uh, who have had endometriosis, um, it does affect fertility though. You know, it can make it a little bit harder, but it's not impossible to have kids. Um, but there is no cure for endometriosis. So, Um, there is a way, there are ways to decrease the symptoms and, um, because it's an inflammatory disease or condition, it, you need to really focus on lowering that inflammation, but also it's very much an immune dysfunction, uh, condition. So it has a lot to do with immune dysfunction and because 70% of your immune system lives in your gut a lot of it has to do with gut health. And like I said before, earlier in the episode, a lot of women who have endometriosis also have digestive issues. They've got imbalanced gut bacteria. Um, they have a lot more gram negative bacteria. So um, a lot more of this quote unquote bad bacteria in their gut. Um, and, you know, with someone who has an immune, a strong immune system, they are able to 
their immune system is able to detect these lesions and get rid of them. But for someone who has immune dysfunction, they're not able to do that. So these lesions multiply. And, um, and that's where obviously this like chronic inflammation and endometriosis develops. And so the most important thing for helping endometriosis is lowering this inflammation and focusing on gut health. Those are the how, two most important things. Okay. How, how would you decrease this inflammation? So um, eating anti-inflammatory foods, like. making so making sure that you eat a lot of omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory. So a lot of um, healthy fats, avocados, salmon, nuts, seeds, um, uh, you know, specifically walnuts, avocado oil, olive oil. These are all really great sources of omega-3. Um, and you have to ditch completely the processed foods. So, you know, anything packaged, processed, refined sugars, um, fried foods, um, vegetable oils, these are all very inflammatory foods. Um, so that will obviously increase inflammation. Um, another, you know, great thing to add into your diet would be, um, you know, obviously fatty fish, but also uh, spices like ginger, super, super helpful for endometriosis, curcumin, very, very good for endometriosis. I know women who have done amazingly on curcumin supplements um, and, you know, having a lot of turmeric in their, in their diet. Um, and, you know, making sure that you're eating a whole food balanced diet that is mostly like Mediterranean style, you know, uh, well-prepared grains. So like soaking your grains, so they're not so inflammatory, um, eating a lot of vegetables and fruit and um, lean proteins, uh, especially things like fish and fatty fish, which are really great for lowering inflammation. And then of course, focusing on gut health. So it's very important to be Um, if you do have something like SIBO to make sure that you're working with someone who can help you um, eliminate SIBO and help heal your gut and make sure that you balance that bacteria in your gut so that it also optimizes your immune system. Um, but like I said, I mean, you know, I've had women who have had symptoms subside for years And then one incident happens in their life, like some traumatic thing or high stress period and boom, their endometriosis comes back. So again, it's very susceptible to stress. Obviously stress creates inflammation. Um, so it's just one of those things where you're constantly having to work on lowering um, inflammation, uh, prioritizing gut health, eating well, resting, like no over-exercising, resting is really important. Sleep is really important. So again, all the, all the like basics, the foundation that we talk about. Um, but of course there are certain, like, you know, certain things that you can kind of do, um, specifically for endometriosis or focus on more specifically for endometriosis. Um, but yeah, that's in general what it's, Last question before we are concluding our, this yeah. uh, episode. Uh, so we talked a lot about women. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to talk about men and their hormones, but I want to talk about men supporting women going through these changes in their life and uh, going through or 
the willingness to support their own body. I mean, are you seeing you any, I don't know, any changes like, you know, from men supporting women or understanding better as well, women hormones? Or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. Um, I think, yes, we are going in the right direction, but I still think there is a lot of work to do. Um, I am still hearing like very, very surprising advice, um, judgment from husbands, partners, um, but also like male trainers, uh, male coaches. Um, there is a massive lack of education and awareness around women's health, and it will not change until we change. So it's really in our hands to um, educate the men in our life, to bring awareness to how our bodies are meant to function. Um, and, you know, even with my own husband, like there's so many things that we used to argue about because um, I had imbalances. Like I wasn't feeling myself, you know, for example, I just shared recently that I had a, a copper IUD for two years And um, it completely altered my personality. Like I was very irritated all the time. I was angry. I was always fighting with my husband about stupid things as well. It wasn't like anything major, but he would always tell me like, why are you so angry all the time? You know? And I, and it made me feel like I was the problem. Like I had a problem. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I'll be very transparent here. Like there were moments where you know, he would tell me, maybe you need to see a therapist. Maybe that you've got, you actually have a problem, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not psycho. Like I don't have, you know, I don't have issues. I don't have a problem. Um, and so I think, and you know, this is being super transparent, but I'm not the only one. I hear this from clients all the time that they're being told that they are the issue, mm. that they have a problem, that they are the problem. But they don't realize, and I, and, I, and I realized this once I removed the copper, the copper IUD, I felt myself again. And it was something that I was constantly telling him when he would say these things to me. I would say, but I don't feel myself. This is not me. This is not who I am. So, you know, yes, there was something going on, but I had no idea what it was. And I blamed it on, you know, lack of sleep and being a new mom and starting a new business and postpartum hormones and whatever it is, but I didn't realize that it was something inside of me that was creating this imbalance. And I had no idea about it. And, um, now when he saw that change and he saw me actually speak to him about it and show him that this is what happens, you know, these are the things that happen. This is what hormone imbalance is. This is, you know, when you start to speak to them and help them understand They also have no idea, right? They were never educated in this stuff. So like I said, it's up to us to first educate ourselves and understand ourselves. And then we can change society and we can change our partners and we can help them understand and we can influence our trainers and we can influence our kids. And, you know, like that ripple effect that I always talk about, it starts with us. Um, so this is what... I see definitely happening. There is definitely a revolution in women's health and we are going to see a lot of changes uh, in the next five, 10 years. And, um, and yeah, this is just really the beginning. 
Yeah. As you said, you know, I feel it really comes like to educating, educating us as women and young girls, um, mm -hmm. uh, teenagers as well. Um, this, and, and then obviously, you know, uh, uh, young men, men, husbands, etc., yeah. etc. Et um, but I've never realized that, you know, the copper IUD, you know, could impact as well. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I knew like Mirena, and this is mainly the reason why I stopped. Like I had, I had copper at some point. Uh, I had Mirena, so I experienced them all. Copper, I was okay. Mirena, second time I had it, I felt like terrible, so I removed it. Yeah. But I think that all of those things, even our gynecologists, though they might be women, they don't talk about the side effects of those like other... Uh, the pills or the uh, copper IUD or the Mirena, we don't talk enough about this, you know, what are the consequences? And yeah. I feel there is a big uh, responsibility, you know, from, you know, uh, gynecologists or doctors or for not informing us like enough and maybe because they don't know. I, I'm not yeah. sure. Or to be honest, yeah. I'm, I'm not. They don't. Um, a lot of them, you know, went to med school years ago and it's the same thing that they get taught you know, over and over and over again. Um, and if you don't have a doctor who self-educates and is up to date with science and development and alternative medicine and, you know, the things that are happening, um, you know, there's also like the difference between clinical, uh, clinical practice and anecdotal, you know, the stories that you hear from your patients. Um, a lot of people don't, a lot of doctors will say, but that's just a story. That's anecdotal evidence. But anecdotal evidence is like what's happening in front of your eyes, you know? Um, it, not necessarily what's happening in a test, uh, testing or like, um, you know, studies that you're doing, conducting. Those are very controlled. But what is actually happening real world stories that are happening to women? So there's a very big, um, there are a lot of doctors who are sort of stuck in this old way of thinking, but also a lot of doctors who are just not learning this stuff. They're not educated. And I mean, my gynecologist didn't know anything about copper toxicity, which was shocking to me. The only thing she told me was that you're going to have pain. Okay, great. But I mean, you know, like even when I went to her with my symptoms, because I told her, there is something going on in my body. You need to figure out what it is. We ran all the tests. We did everything. My hormones were okay. They weren't great, but there was nothing like screaming at me saying, oh my God, there's something. Um, but she didn't want to do any testing. Everything was quote unquote normal. If I asked her about anything regarding copper or like my moods or anything like that, she's like, no, um, you know, I don't think copper has an effect on your body. And I said, but that's like that's, how it started. I mean, how, how, yeah. how are you supposed to, I mean, women, if you're not educating yourself on this stuff, you will go into a doctor's office and they will give you false information or incomplete information, unfortunately. And it could steer you in a completely wrong direction. Am I saying that conventional medicine is like terrible? No, of course not. Like we are so lucky to have doctors that save our lives that, you know, amazing doctors, but we also need to have a little bit of logic and a little bit of, um, 
you know, curiosity, I think is the word when it comes to our bodies, we can't just take everything, you know, at face value and say, yeah, okay, sure. Nothing's wrong with me. It's all in my head, you know? Um, So it, it is shocking to see that women's health doctors, even like gynecologists aren't uh, aware of these things. But like I said, there's a, there's a movement that will (laughs) will eventually happen. Um, Usually Sandra, uh, I would ask my guests, know, what are their three favorite beauty products? Um, But I feel that uh, this is just not um, fitting in this uh, episode. Uh, And uh, I could, um, stay with you for hours and hours to talk about this <laughs> so passionate uh, topic. Um, but instead of asking you like, you know, specific product now, I would probably ask, you know, what, what is the one thing that you do per day that is helping you as a woman? Um, Well, that's that's several things, but I think the main thing, um, I think the main thing is, or something that I've done a lot more recently, let's say, because it's always been like food, food for me has been something that I do and I have done and I've taken care of for years for my body. But I think something that has recently made a huge change in my body, in my mental health, in all of that is rest, like really listening to my body to just rest. And um, I used to ignore those signs of fatigue. I used to push through, you know, feeling like I wasn't in the mood or feeling depleted or anything like that. But I've learned more and more, especially as I've gotten older, that everything can wait, you know, I need to rest. And when I'm not rested and when I don't take time for myself to just literally block out everything, kids, husband, work, friends, family, everything. And I just take time for myself. I need 40 to 45 minutes to an hour of me time every day. And if that doesn't happen, I am not someone you want to be around. (laughs) So I think... That is probably the one thing that I would say as a woman has massively helped me um, to just give myself rest and lean into that feminine energy. We, we have so much masculine energy in us. We're always do, 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 do. And I'm someone like I'm a type A do, do, do person, right? I've always been. And any moment that I'm not doing something in the past, I have to keep myself busy. I would feel like I'm not being productive. But I think the one thing that I learned recently is rest is productive, okay? The more we rest, the more we give our ourselves a chance to be more creative, to see different perspectives. It literally gives your brain a chance to just calm down and to be able to see things clearly and think clearly and prioritize your life and, um, you know, just be able to take a moment to like take a breath and just be. Um, 
you don't have to do anything. Literally just sitting down in bed or on the couch or, you know, going for, sometimes I'm not joking. Sometimes I'll go for a drive, you know, um, listen to a podcast, whatever it is. Like I just, every day is different, but every day I need one hour to myself where I just don't speak to anyone. I don't want to hear anything or speak to anyone. And I just need to be with myself. Mm. Um, So I think that is the number one thing that I've done, which has changed so many things for me, for my family, for how I show up in work with my clients. Um, So yeah, that would be the one. Yeah. I think taking some time, you know, for yourself is essential when you're a woman, obviously for for men as well, we all need our me time. Uh, me, there's one thing that I'm doing recently is to listen to a high frequency um, music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really helping me to recenter. Like I've done this like this morning before being with the kids, and I'm doing it in the evening just to wind down. And uh, and I'm doing some stretching usually like in the evening before going to bed. And this is yeah. helping so much. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, what what would be the three advice that you would like to to give to women that are listening to us? Um, the three advice. So um, I think the first thing is uh, start to build curiosity around your body. Start to ask questions. Be an advocate for your health. Um, and you know, if something doesn't feel right, listen to it and find out why. Reach out to someone who can help you. Um, the second thing would be nourish your body. <laughs> um, I cannot emphasize this enough. Food is information, and everything that we eat has either a positive or a negative effect in our bodies. So food can either hurt you or heal you. And um, nourishing your body is crucial, especially in the world that we live in, where we are depleted, we are stressed, we, um, you know, are not uh, uh, giving our bodies what they need most of the time. So that is like the simplest thing you can do is just eat right um, and eat often. Um, And I think the third thing would be... um, Oh, I had something and I completely forgot what it was. (laughs) (laughs) I just completely forgot what it was. Um, Yeah, I just don't remember. It was literally on the tip of my tongue and I completely forgot it. But yeah, I would say um, be an advocate for your health, nourish your body. And um, don't, I would say really don't mistaken rest for uh, being unproductive or that you are any less of a person if you take time for yourself or you're just being like taking a day off uh, from your everyday, like hustle, hustle, hustle is okay. It's that's how our bodies are meant to function and understanding that, you know, we've talked about this before. We're not small versions of men. We are not meant to be go, go, go all the time. And unfortunately, that's how we've grown up. That's how our society has been for years because that's all we've known. But that's not how our bodies function. And um, taking downtime and taking time for yourself and really just resting is um, is one of the most important things I think women can do for their bodies, for their mental health, for their hormones. 
Um, so yeah, I would say those three things probably. Um, that's going to be my pre-last question. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who would you like to see or listen to in, as a next guest in this podcast that, you know, knowing that it's indeed it's beauty, but as you know, Uh, you understand it's not only like, you know, skincare, makeup, trend, it's also whatever can nourish ourselves and make us feel good about ourselves, you know, or gorgeous from the inside out. Mm -hmm. um, I would say anyone who is, um, who specializes in any sort of like therapy for the mind. So, um, you know, whether it's like an NLP therapist or, or coach, um, you know, like the tapping method or um, a rapid transformational coach or any sort of um, coach or therapist that really works on the nervous system, um, stress and really unlearning the toxic, thoughts and patterns that we have grown up with uh, maybe you know how to deal with trauma how to um, help our bodies heal from those things because it's not my area of expertise and um, I actually bring a lot of women into my program who specialize in those things because I truly think that if you don't address your mental health and your mindset you will never heal the rest of your body. Um, and that's why, like I said before, it's a top-down approach. So you can be on every protocol, eat the healthiest food, do the exercise, sleep eight hours a day. But if you're still living in a toxic environment in your mind, um, or you still have negative thoughts, or you still have trauma that's unresolved, nothing will work. And um, I think that is something that is very, very, very up and coming right now. I think a lot of people are starting to focus on the importance of mental health, as we know, um, but more importantly for, for women, um, for hormone health and for prevention of chronic disease, really, because we've seen that this constant living in negativity has uh, an impact on our physiology. Our thoughts can impact our physical being. And, um, so yeah, I think that would be fascinating. I would also think another guest, um, that would be really fascinating would be someone who specializes maybe in postpartum, uh, care or postpartum, um, you know, uh, therapy or postpartum support, because I think that is another area in women's health that has a lot of potential and needs a lot of attention. Um, you know, we talk about how to care for a baby after we deliver, but we never talk about how to care for ourselves. And I think that's another very, very important subject. So in those two areas, do you know anyone? Um, so in the area of mindset and mental health, yes, I know several coaches um, that I can definitely recommend. Okay. Um, in the area of postpartum care, I don't know anyone uh, who specializes in that, but I can definitely find out. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Sandra, where can we find you? How can we follow you? What's the best way to reach you? 
Um, so the best way to reach me and follow me is on my Instagram at Sandra Sharp with an E wellness, all one word. Um, and yeah, that's the best way to, to contact me. If you are, if you have listened or are listening to this podcast episode, just uh, mention that if you do message me, mention that you um, listen to me on this episode. So I know where you're coming from and, um, and yeah, that's Sandra. Amazing. Sandra, it's been such an amazing episode. Um, I've been wanting to have you uh, and to have this conversation with you for um, since I met you, so probably <laughs> a year ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm so happy that, you know, we've been able to, to talk and at least to start a conversation here. I'm sure that we'll have like probably you'll come back on the podcast because Uh, woman, uh, woman health, uh, hormones is such uh, a vast topic um, mm -hmm. and that we, we have so much more like to talk about still. But um, Sandra, thank you again so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode today. If you enjoy it, please rate it with five stars leave a comment and share it with at least two of your friends. This will help the podcast to be more visible and high in the rank. I cannot wait to have you in my next episode to talk more about beauty. In the meantime, take care of yourself and remember, be your own kind of beautiful. <laughs>